Reformed. I'm Pastor Brandon, joined with Pastor Zach. We are pastors of a United Reformed Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. And today we wanted to talk about psalms singing, because that's one of the questions that we get sometimes. You know, why does your church emphasize singing the psalms? And we do give the psalms a principal place in our worship service. Uh, it comes right out of our, our church order. Article 39 tells all churches in the URC, the 150 psalms shall have the principal place in the singing of the churches. Hymns which faithfully and fully reflect the teaching of, of Scripture as expressed in the three forms of unity may be sung, provided they are approved by the consistory. So it's not exclusive psalmody, but it, 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 the, there's that key phrase there, principal place. So Zach, what does it mean, principal place? How, how does that work? Yeah, I think that most people, and I think the most natural way of reading it is to say that the psalms should predominate within our worship. I think that uh, whether it's like a simple 51% majority at least is probably the uh, right way to take it. I mean... You know, of course, there are times of the year where, like on Easter Sunday or around Christmas time, we often sing more hymns, but I think we more than make up for that the rest of the year. And so in terms of an, an overall, um, you know, what, what's being sung, kind of a, what sort of diet is being sung by the uh, congregation, I think the church order really kind of emphasizes that there should be a majority of psalms being sung. And I recognize there might be other people out there who take a little bit of difference interpretation of that, but I don't know if that's quite as um, straightforward from the church order as I, as I think it might be. Sure. But, and, and our church as well um, partnered with the OPC, and we uh, put together the Trinity Psalter Hymnal. So it's a joint, joint venture between the URC and OPC, and it has the 150 psalms plus um, uh, approved hymns. And so, uh, again, not only psalms, but psalms and, and hymns that reflect good scriptural teaching. Uh, but Zach, maybe you can maybe kind of walk us through, what is the history of singing psalms? Yeah, well, I think we need to obviously begin before the New Covenant age, don't we? Just recognizing that the uh, singing has been such a part of God's people throughout the, uh, the history of worship. And we see that especially within the Psalter, do we not? Clearly, David wrote many, many uh, hundreds of, of songs. And um, there were other poems being written by Solomon as well. But what we see really over the course of time, and I shall also mention, you know, choirs like the, song, the Sons of Korah and Asaph himself wrote so many songs. But over the course of time, these all kind of came together in certain collections. And... Um, after the exile is, you know, a certain consensus that after the exile from Babylon, that's the final form of the Psalter, the 150 Psalms kind of came into existence. And that really began to form then the, 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 nature, the, the singing of the uh, Jewish people pre-Christ. And this, the Jews were familiar with the Psalms. They sang the psalms or maybe chanted the psalms. We don't exactly know how they went about it back then. But the psalms were certainly central to their, their worship and praise and to their lament. Um, central to that, of course, was a hope of a Messiah. That's probably a different, a uh, little bit, maybe some will come back to a little bit later in terms of why we uh, sing psalms, Christ being the central to them. But not, it wasn't just that the uh, people before Jesus sang psalms, but Christ himself did. 
when we might think about the uh, first Lord's Supper, often called the Last Supper, they sang a hymn before they went out in Gethsemane, and that's, almost, that's in Greek, the psalm they sang. And Jesus was a psalm singer. He um, was singing psalms uh, when he was on the cross as well. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So, uh, psalm 22. He quotes psalms throughout his, his life as well. And so Jesus was very familiar with the psalms, and the psalms are the most often quoted book in the uh, New Testament. And so the psalms are really part of the piety of Christ himself and the apostles and then also given to us in the New Testament scriptures. The early church clearly sang psalms. No, really no question about that. When Paul writes his letters in uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 5 and in uh, Colossians, he tells the churches to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Clearly that at least includes a psalter. Uh, I think that those three terms, however, are probably best understood to be three different kinds of psalms that are in the uh, 150. You see, some of the psalms were called psalms, some were called hymns, some were called spiritual songs, and so that's probably what Paul's referring to there. But at the very least, he's telling his churches to sing the psalms. They were very, very familiar with them. Psalm singing continued in the, in the history of the church. Uh, we see this very early on with, for example, St. Augustine, and he, he was a psalm singer in north of Africa. Psalms were encouraged and required within their, within their churches. Although, of course, men like Ambrose of Milan were writing hymns as well. But really, psalms were the, the, the central part of the singing in the, uh, in the Christian church. Psalms continued during the time of the medieval church. The problem was, oftentimes, they were not so congregational because monastic choirs really began to take over. And the monasteries... And the monks really began to kind of, you could say, become the only ones who were then singing and the only ones who became familiar with the Psalter. And the, the congregation itself be began to become onlookers rather than full participants. And that became a real shame within the uh, medieval church. It wasn't that Psalms disappeared, it's that they were sung almost only by or chanted only by the monks and the monastic choirs. But the time of the Reformation was really a recovery of that practice, a practice of the early church that was maintained within the monasteries, was then brought back to the congregation. And so whether you were in the Lutheran or the Reformed part of the Reformation, the recovery of psalm singing was very central to that. You saw this in, in Geneva. You see this in Wittenberg with Luther. Luther even did some paraphrases of some psalms that you know, technically might be a hymn, but he was still... Um, very emphatic about the Psalter. You see this as well in our own particular church tradition within the Dutch Reformed lineage as the uh, great Synod of Dort uh, in, uh, required that the churches sing the 150 Psalms along with a few other songs with that. But the Psalms, again, were very central to the singing of the churches. Unfortunately, in the course of time, Psalms have kind of fallen by the wayside. I think probably because we have adopted a very experiential driven form of worship, which we've mentioned in a recent episode, that experience has begun to triumph within the Christian church, especially in modern America, with the rise of Pentecostalism, with the rise of revivalism. We want immediate experience. And although the Psalms can give wonderful experience, they do require a lot more thoughtfulness, a lot more familiarity to really understand what's going on there. So it's not quite as immediate as you might find in some of the hymns. And so 
sadly, psalm singing has fallen by the wayside. And so I think there's been a better recovery in psalm singing. I don't think anyone would question that. But at this point in time, psalm singing is still a bit weird and, and obscure. And so I guess by way of maybe a 30,000, maybe even a 40,000 foot view, there's a bit of an overview in terms of how, singing, uh, how psalm singing has kind of, was the mainstay, kind of demi- uh, there's a demise in the medieval church, recovery in the Reformation, demise in our modern church day. Maybe, Lord willing, we're seeing recovery in our day. Yeah. Um, you know, the thoughts on that, or maybe we can proceed and talk about some uh, reasons for singing psalms. What do you think? Well, I think connected with that, and kind of going into reasons why, but, you know, as you mentioned, the kind of the, the historicity of it, when we sing psalms, it's connecting us. We're, we're singing the same psalms that were sung by the church in the, in the Old Covenant and the church in the New Covenant and Christians throughout the thousands of years. And so, uh, you know, this isn't, uh, you know, something that is... is um, is new or, or, or novel, but something that's really connecting us. And so, you know, as we're, we're singing with the church, the church has, has sung these. The, the church in Israel has sung these. The church in the, in the early times, right after Christ, um, uh, sang these. So there's just this historic, I think, uh, connecting point where we're, we're with them. We're part of that same universal church manifest in the way in which we worship, singing the exact same psalms. Psalms are biblical as well, right? By definition, they're, they're literally <laughs> biblical. <laughs> so when we think about singing these songs, we don't have to worry as to whether or not right. these are true, good, and beautiful because God has given us these songs to sing. Mm-hmm. He didn't just put them there just for us to read merely he actually gave them to us to sing. Right. And by just only ever reading them, we're not actually experiencing. Again, experience isn't bad. It's when it becomes experience on steroids, it's bad. But we're called to experience the Psalms and to experience them by singing or others have chanted them or whatever. But to, to, to evoke within us the kind of affections that uh, ought to do so. Not just to think about them, but to, to embody them and to let them rise up from, from our lips. And what better way, what better kind of song to sing than one that is literally the Bible? Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to worry about it at that point, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Psalms are also catechetical. They, they shape us. They, they, they shape our, our piety. I mean, the, the, the phrases that is used by the psalmist, the expressions, the theology, all of that is shaping us as as we as we get into a habit of psalm singing you know going back to Christ and how you know he's always quoting the psalms he's always going back to the psalms he's singing them at dinner time he's singing them and referring to them even when he's dying and we just see the psalms have this kind of principal place within the life of Christ and how catechetical it was in terms of, of his own humanity in life. And, and uh, just to kind of use an, an analogy, I, I have a um, family member who loves music. And, you know, as you're talking with her, you can say like a little expression or phrase or word that maybe is from a song in the 60s or 70s or 80s, and she breaks out in song uh, of that one song because a thing that you said reminded her of that, and everything's filtered through song. But, I mean, it's interesting kind of thinking about like how when you're catechized by songs, right, and you see them everywhere, and it reminds you, and you're bringing them up, but imagine then being so saturated in the, in the Psalter 
that you're almost breaking out in song, and things are being re- you're 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 being reminded constantly about themes in the Psalms by how much you've sung them and how much you've internalized because you keep singing them over and over and over again and becoming part of you and seeing them everywhere, expressing them in all places. So yeah, I think it can be very catechetical in shaping uh, shaping us. I think I go back to the emotion thing I just mentioned, just to clarify a little bit more that we really want to um, to have true and good religious experience. There are bad forms of religious experience. You know, some people have um, recognized when they went to their first live concert that it really wasn't uh, God and worship that they enjoyed. It was just live music, you know. And so, so we're not just trying to like move the heartstrings like you might have your heartstrings moved at a concert, uh, just like live music and, and that kind of a thing. But there is true biblical and religious experience and emotion that should um, uh, that should characterize us in worship and characterize our lives. And what better way to have a fully rounded uh, religious emotion and affection than to be guided by Scripture? And the Psalms, which have famously been called an anatomy of the soul, because the Psalms do give expression to the different parts of our being, because God knows us better than we know ourselves. And God gives us the words and the emotions to express our own experience in this world better than we could devise ourselves. He gives us lament to cry about our, our, our sadness and our misery. He gives us hymns of praise to celebrate. He gives us songs of thanks to show uh, gratitude. He gives us songs of wisdom to be meditative and reflective. He gives us royal psalms to celebrate a great king. We have all kinds of psalms that bring forth all sorts of emotions within us because that's good for us to express those emotions. And it's good for us to bear our soul before God. And again, what better way to do that and to be guided in a well-rounded view and uh, experience of that than to take God's very word, the Psalms, upon our lips and upon our hearts. And so I think that one reason, another reason is to uh, have a healthy emotion in our Christian life as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think another one that helps some um, safeguard orthodoxy, it, it helps promote, I think, the health of the congregation. It, it, it's a healthy thing when the congregation is catechized by the Psalms, when the, when, when the congregation takes the Psalter upon their lips, when they sing the 150 psalms, uh, when they um, express all of the emotions that's in the Psalter, wh- whether it's lament and, uh, or, or joy or whatever it is, and then expressing that, it, it just promotes a healthy congregation. And especially like within the Dutch churches, there's been you know, movements in the past and other denominations and things to maybe get rid of psalm singing. And many people have seen that as kind of a decline in the church when you start to move away from psalm singing and you cannot kind of see the congregation not thrive as much. Um, yeah, I, I think that uh, another reason we want to uh, sing the psalms is because they are uh, Christ-centered uh, I think that they're Christ-centered in a few different respects, though. I think on one hand, the Psalms, you could say, are predicting and prophesying Jesus Christ. And so they are forward-looking. I think that the main character in the Psalter is the king. And so whether it's the king himself singing or the king being sung about or the misery that encompasses Israel, that's because they don't have a king on the throne. 
So they think the king really is the great hope and their expectation of the Psalter. So there's that forward-looking nature. But as I just touched on, oftentimes the king is the main one who's singing the Psalms. And so when we think about the Psalms as Christ-centered, it's not only as they look forward to Christ, but I like to speak of it as if Christ was singing the Psalms in advance through David. It wasn't just David singing the Psalms. It was actually Christ through David. And he's get, putting that song out there before he came as the one who properly owns that psalm, uh, like a movie trailer. You're waiting for the, the, the movie to come out in you know, the theaters, but there's a quick trailer to give you a sneak peek. Uh, it's the kind of idea is what's going on there. David's singing in advance because the real singer, capital S, is going to come on the scene one day. And so they're, they're really uh, Christ-centered in different respects as being the, the, the forward-looking object of the psalms, uh, also being the, the key singer of many of the psalms uh, as well. So, yeah. yeah, and also, I mean, finally, I might add, you know, it's there's an eschatological thrust to it as well. I mean, as you, as we think about, you know, Israel singing the psalms, and you know, many very blatantly about the coming Messiah, and they're they're they're, they're taking the soul the psalms upon their lips, and then Christ comes and he's singing the psalms, and now we're in this era of where we're singing the psalms, and we're singing the psalms, and we're awaiting the final coming of Christ, and. And again, m many of the psalms even pointing to uh, a, a king who will finally rule, a king who will finally come and um, take up that um, scepter in a in a more climactic way. And so again, we're we're taking the psalms upon our lips at in this era of re redemptive history, um, looking forward to Christ coming back. And so there's this kind of like a, and this end times thrust as we're awaiting our king. Well, we hope this has been helpful for you. Just to mention again, the Psalter that Brandon just uh, showed you a moment ago, it's called the Trinity Psalter Hymnal. It has the 150 Psalms, as he mentioned, with some various settings for some of the different Psalms. And it has many wonderful hymns in there as well, along with, in the back, creeds and confessions from the Reformed and Presbyterian traditions. It'd be a real blessing for you to pick that up. You can find that at gcp.org gcp as in great commission publications .org. and you can also find the same um, trinity psalter hymnal uh, content on the web their website trinity psalter hymnal.org if i'm not mistaken furthermore there's an app uh, that you can get for your um, uh, iphone or android device and that's only like 10 bucks so find that there you get the sheet music you get the lyrics you can get the tunes you can play you can bookmark those things because what we want to encourage is people who love God's word, love to sing God's word, because we think that's going to help uh, create uh, mature Christianity and mature and, and healthy churches. So please uh, check out that resource. I'm sure there are others out there that are fine resources as well. But this is one that we are very familiar with and would highly recommend uh, to mm -hmm. you. So in other words, again, I hope this has been a helpful um, episode for you. This is the Cincy Reform Podcast. Find our other episodes at cincyreform.org, sponsored by Westside Reformed Church, westsidereformed.org. Um, for Brandon, I'm Zach. Thanks for joining us this week. See you next week. Bye-bye.